So glad we have a God who cares about the big and the small things in our life and all those things in between. We are grateful for that worship which has pointed our hearts towards the Lord. If you would stand with me, we're going to read as we continue this week in characteristics of the kingdom, those characteristics which will mark the kingdom citizen, that person that is walking under the reign and rule of the king, Jesus Christ. Although we're going to deal with the whole section um, for our reading's sake and for fitting it in, we have two of those three. Two sections really go together and then one stands by itself. So if you can follow together, let's read as one. Again, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you simply, simply excuse me, yes or no, anything more than that, this comes from evil. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word which gives light, which gives clarity. Lord, which lets us know what your heart is and what your expectations from us is. We thank you that you empower us to live out your word. We realize this is not an act of, of, of self-will. This is not more willpower. This is not even positive thinking. Father, this is your enabling power by your spirit, causing those who are under your rule and reign to live out the life that you have given them. And so this morning, we pray for your wisdom as we jump into the word. And we pray that as we get what you are saying, that we would allow you to transform us by what you have said. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I will say this particular scripture has caused a lot of confusion. It has some people not wanting to put their hands on the Bible when they stand in court. It has some people not wanting to give oath. It has some people even not wanting to participate in wars or in fighting. Some have used this text to back away from being in the military. And so there's been a lot of confusion about what was said when Christ said this. 
But we, as we always do, we have to understand that because he was speaking specifically to a particular culture, we need to make sure we understand what what he said would have meant to the culture at hand, number one, but then to gain the principles and the direction that he is seeking for us to gain today. So understand, this was, this was spoken of at one time, then Matthew wrote this in the first century, and now we are reading what he has written in the 21st century. He's about 20 centuries later, and it still has value for today. But I want you to understand, just as I've said before, that the Bible was not written to you and I, but it was written for you and I. Understand that. Who was it written to? The people that Matthew uh, was writing to, those in that particular time and in that century. But who was it written for? Everyone. And so there are principles that we will gain, but we must first understand the culture. And that's where I'm going to take you guys first. It is as Jesus continues to reveal the characteristics of the kingdom citizen and thus the kingdom, he is focusing on our relationship with those we live around. Understand that the last few things that we've dealt with have been relationally oriented. He has dealt with our anger, which we know can lead to murder. And, and he then dealt with our lust and our scheming, um, which has led many to try and get around God's standard for marriage. One thing I want to say about that for last week, when I said that, 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 that God gave that one exception, that wasn't mandatory when he said about divorce except for unfaithfulness, and he was talking about sexually unfaithfulness, he was saying that that can be a reason. I want to make sure we understand that God doesn't say if that happens, you run and do it. Um, all the rest of the scripture comes into bear for grace and for understanding and for forgiveness that comes into bear and yet wisdom as well as you journey through life. So we look at all of scripture. But when he was talking there, it was in the context, as I said last week, that many of the Pharisees were giving so many other loopholes and ways to get out of it. And Jesus closed them all and said, I just want to give you guys my heart and my standard. And so with that, we jump into today that he focuses on our integrity and our truthfulness along with how to handle those who oppose us. He is dealing with now our integrity in our words and our truthfulness and how to deal with those who oppose us. And he said, those who oppose us, remember who he is talking to. We go back to chapter one. He saw the crowds, but his disciples came to him and he said he sat them down and spoke to them, the them being the disciples. Although he knew the crowd was listening, he was directing his teaching to those who would be under the rule and the reign of the king and thus the kingdom of God. So he's given you characteristics of the kingdom. And so with this today, we talk about these things of vows or oaths and that how we deal with them. Have to understand the culture first. So the kingdom citizen's word, first point I want you to understand is the kingdom's citizen's word must stand on its own merit. The kingdom's citizen's word must stand on its own merit. What he is saying is as a citizen under the rule of Jesus Christ, you must be the kind of person that what you say is all that is needed. Today, we have people that we honor like that. I've said that 
of my dad that he was and still is a man of his word. As much as it is up to him, he was one that if he said it, as much as he was responsible for it, it was going to happen. And so it was known he didn't need to bring other things in to prop up his word and to make people believe him. And so as we look at this, the principle I want you to understand and see in this first point is the kingdom citizen's word must stand on its own merit. What you say is what people should be able to depend upon and bank on. But let's look at what had happened that he had to say this. First of all, he says, you have heard, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. And that has come out of Leviticus, actually several areas that that actually comes out. Leviticus 19.12, for instance, talks about vows. And it talks about how we are to keep them. Understand what they had done, though. Back in Jewish culture, here was the deal. If you wanted something to be understood as solemn and serious, this isn't just about you making a promise. This vow was a solemn oath. And when you wanted someone in that culture to understand that, that, that the, the, the solemn nature of what you were saying and you wanted them to believe it as fact and truth, you now invoked God, or you said, by the name of God, I say this. And so people were to understand that what you said was to be believed. Well, the reason they were doing that is because the mess that had happened, the mess that had come about was it was okay to lie if they felt that it wasn't serious enough to be a solemn vow. If it wasn't, if it wasn't something that they thought involved God, if it wasn't that in something that they thought was tri- if it was something, excuse me, that they thought was trivial, they 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 wouldn't invoke something that would say, "Now I'm serious, guys. Come on, I need you to listen to me." See, these were the people that that would try to get out of what they had contracted themselves to and say, "I wasn't really serious." I was just playing. Oh, come on. You couldn't take it exactly as I said it. And it was creating a mess. In other words, they were becoming people that lacked integrity. And this was running throughout the leadership in Jewish culture. And so much so that, that, that they started to vow by lesser things to make people think that they were serious, but they were giving themselves a way out. And so when you see him referring to not swearing by your head, in other words, they would go, okay, I'm not going to invoke God because then I have to tell the truth. I'm not going to say by God's name because then I have to come clean with you. I'm not going to say this is what, this is what the Lord says. You know, the Lord says, I'm not going to say that because then you're going to think or then I'm going to have to tell you the truth. But if I vow by something other than God, then I can make you think that you start to believe it. But if I want to back out, I can. How do we do that today? Boy, we lead people on thinking that they are believing one thing when all along we are planning something else. And if it goes wrong, I back out and I say, well, I didn't mean that. You took that wrong. That's not really what I meant no that's, no, that's what I said, but that's not what I meant. And what we have are people whose word cannot be trusted. 
and people who manipulate others and manipulate things and contracts and vows or they give themselves ways out. We just got finished talking about this issue of divorce and then how they were trying to find so many different ways out that God did not honor those different ways. And so he's saying, if you make a vow, he said, or if you say something, it should be what you say. And so he says, one thing that I want you to get with this, if we get nothing else from chapter five, you should be seeing the strong authority of the word of Jesus Christ. Throughout this time, he says, but I say unto you, but I say unto you. In other words, you've heard a bunch of things. Some of the things you've heard is from the Old Testament, but some of the things you've heard is just a bunch of mess. But when he says, but I say unto you, you are hearing the authority of Jesus Christ. And as a matter of fact, when we get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the people actually respond in what they've heard. The people actually respond and say, he speaks with authority like none other. Well, of course he does, because the king is talking. And so now he comes in and he says to them, you've heard, you shall not swear falsely. And in essence, you guys have propped things up to make it think like you were telling the truth when actually you were trying to find a way out of what you said. He says, but I say to you, don't make an oath at all. Here's what he says. There's no need to prop up your words or your sayings if you are a person of integrity. If people can trust what you say, when you say it, they have no worry. No one has to come behind you and say, how do I know you're telling the truth? Cross my heart, hope to die. You know, no, you don't have to do any of that stuff. Why? Because they know if you say it, you mean it. But then he hits at their little system that they had propped up. He says to them, look at what he says. He says to them, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God. He says, because they were trying not to even mention God. So they'll say, well, I swear by heaven. I haven't said God. It's, he, he said, it belongs to God. Then they said, or by earth. Well, I swear by earth. They said, it's his footstool. It's his as well. So you're still dealing with God. Then he says, or by Jerusalem, because they would, they would swear by the great city. They said it's his as well, for it is the city of the great king. And then it says, and do, and do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Now, today we can make one hair white or black, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about naturally. You can't change that color, although I know you can change. Some of you are going, I changed that color this morning. And I said, no, no, no. He's not talking about our modern-day science that can change the color. But what he is saying is that you have no control over changing the, the, the features and, and the things who you are naturally without some sort of outside help. You don't have that power or authority, thus you can't claim what you don't even own. And then he comes and he says... Let what you say be simply yes or no, or some version says yet to let your yes be yes and your no be no. What is he getting at? Jesus is telling us here, look, he's telling us truthfulness is a distinguishing mark of the kingdom citizen. He says people should be able to rest well on your words. Now, we know there's some times that we will 
promise some things that we were not able to deliver. He's not talking about that. He's talking about when you go into solemn vows, they should be able to trust your vows. When you go into solemn contracts and when you go into serious business and when people are counting on you, it says, and they're counting on your word and says, you said it. He says, that's all that is needed. But here's what he says after that. He said, anything more than this comes from evil, comes from the evil one is actually what it means, comes from, and really, when you think about it, who is the evil one? He is the father of lies. John 8, 44 says that he is the father of lies. And so when you are that manipulative, I got to lie to get my way, and I got to deceive people to make them believe what I'm really not going to do. He says, understand you are not responding in the ways of the kingdom. You are responding in the ways of the evil one. He just made it plain and clear. He said, that's not me. Now, our world thrives on, there are some cultures and societies now that thrive on lying. And understand he is distinguishing the follower of Christ from the world. And he says, boy, your word stands strong because you stand in the kingdom. James 5, 12 says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And so understand that the kingdom citizen word must stand as its own merit. Second, second, the kingdom citizens are known for how they handle being offended. Not only do they stand on their word, now they know how to deal with offensive people and uh, I mean, offensive situations and offensive people. This is the text that we have not read. So let me read it to you. It says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for, I mean, an, an, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Some of you are going, wait a minute, just as I read that. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have the cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And that is some of the hardest texts in scripture I know for many of us to hear and read. And you are like, okay, God, so are you telling me I just need to be able to take the beat down and, and, and nothing happened? Some of us are just trying to figure that out. What does he mean? Well, he doesn't really mean that, does he? He doesn't really mean someone slapped me to turn the other cheek. Yeah, I'm going to turn that cheek as my right hook is coming around. You, that, that's how some of us are thinking. But let's look at what he was actually saying and what is understood. Now, this verse has actually been taken by some, and, 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 and they have harmed themselves. When they say, like, when you've heard you aren't to resist an evil person, that they aren't to stand up and resist evil. They aren't to stand up for others. They aren't to stand up for what's actually happening, for what the Lord is doing. They aren't to, they, they aren't to stand up and oppose that which should not be happening. Let me help you with what he is not saying. What he is not saying is you just stand there as this totally passive being, and there is nothing that you ever do about anything. You don't pick up anything to fight with. Some have taken this text to mean that I don't join the military because I'm not fighting someone's war. This means that I don't stand up in court. I just let myself be trampled on. It's not what he's talking about. 
what you have to understand here is that whole attitude of retaliation is what he's dealing with. This whole issue of how we handled when we are when we have been offended. Number one, the text that he read, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, was a judicial um, instruction given to the nation. Number one, it was how they were supposed to handle cases when there were feuding families and there were people that were fighting and were feuding. When that was the case, this was to be both what we call prescriptive, which means that it gives them a prescribed method of how to handle it, but it was also restrictive, is that it limited their response. In other words, someone came and they harmed someone in my family, and I got mad and I brought my, like, I brought my three brothers and we went back and we got you. And they're, okay, so now you brought your four brothers. Now I'm going to bring the group and I'm going to deal with your whole family. And this thing just keeps escalating. And it was this tribalism that would be happening between families and between villages And God allowed it to be brought in and say, hey, we are going to, as a judicial system, not personal abuse, we are going to meet it correctly. Okay, what happened here? Okay, so now here's how you're going to deal with it. And your response cannot be greater than the offense. You can't go overboard on how you retaliate. But again, this was the judiciary, how they were to handle community law as a nation. Now, the mess that, because again, Jesus is clearing the mess. What was the mess that had been created? They had taken what was given in the past as judiciary, I mean, as judicial for the system, and they were using it for personal benefit. It no longer looked like what it had been intended back when it was given. So individuals were taking this, and they were saying, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth when I deal with you. You hit me, I hit you. And what had developed was this awful attitude of this legalistic, tight-fisted, hatred-filled way of dealing with those that offended you. And here comes Jesus Christ. And we see it because his example was, what did he do when when they spat on him, when they nailed him, when they punched him, when they whipped him, and when they nailed him up on the cross, what was the first thing he said? You, you heard me say over and over, if it was me, and maybe if it was you, I'd be like, hey, I'm taking this, but y'all don't know three days and it's on. We going at it. But what did he do instead? The first words he said was, Father, forgive them, for they don't understand what they're doing. What he did then is what he is saying in this point. He is saying, kingdom citizens are not retaliatory at the core. They are not first looking for how I can get even, how I can get back. Oh, you hurt me, I'ma hurt you. So what he is giving you is this whole principle of don't come with this legalistic attitude toward how you handle being offended. See, because at the core of of human retaliation is legalism. I'm going to get you like you got me. You told me off, I'm going to give her a piece of my mind. She did that, I'm going to do that back. He said that, I'm going to say that back. But look at what he says to do. He says, but I say to you, do not resist. In other words, don't stand there and devise a plan on how you're going to get back. It doesn't mean that if someone is wielding out 
threats or that they are bringing harm that you don't stand in their way. You may need to stand in their way to cut it off. But then there are other instances in where personally you may go, I'm going to take that one because I know the Lord is dealing with this. I'm not going to respond back to you the way that you responded to me. I'm not going to do to you what you just did to me. And look at what he says as to why. He says, if anyone would slap you, turn the right cheek. He's saying, don't be quick to respond. Now, if anyone slaps you, you better duck if they come in again with the other one. But he's saying there, in your heart, you are not to be an individual that is about retaliation. Next thing he's saying, he says, if anyone would sue you, as a matter of fact, if you go to 1 Corinthians, we looked at that because that was a problem in the Corinthian church. You had individuals in civil court, Christians that were suing one another. And what he was saying is, he said, can anyone just be wronged here for the sake of the gospel? For the sake of Christ, can you just take the sacrifice and be wronged? Here's what they're saying. They said, if, if anyone sues you and takes your tunic, that tunic was that garment that was close to your body. We would say today, if someone comes and tries to take the shirt off your back, give them your jacket too. Well, I had to take the jacket off to give them the shirt. But what it was also believed in Jewish culture is that that cloak was something that no one could ever take. It was yours by right to keep because it kept you warm. And even if they took your tunic, you had something to cover them. What Jesus said is, you're like me, you be sacrificial and you give it up anyway. Why? Because he's saying, because I got you. And he tells us later in, 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 in other places, I have you. What he is saying, this does not make us weak. This does not make us these people that will just get pushed over. We know a number of times that people that have come to Christ, that have been evil, that have been bloodthirsty and that have changed as Christ has changed their hearts and they become these people that pursue love and they become these people that pursue helping others and would go to the death. I got one for you, Paul himself, who had been given permission to grab and to kill or to grab, arrest and to kill. And when he was changed, he was, he was able in mind to say, I'll go to the death for my Lord and for other believers. So he says, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow. He is not saying in every instance when someone comes and asks you for money and wants to lend that you give it. Understand the context he's saying here is be one that is not tight fisted. Oh, they deserve that. I'm not giving them any help. They shouldn't have gotten themselves in that trouble anyway. Had they not done something so dumb, they wouldn't be where they are. God says, did I do that with you? He says, and again, let's not think of financial either. He says, did I hold back my resources from you when you were down and out and you were coming back to me for the 20th time with the same thing that I said, go away from me? See, God is reminding us when you are under my rule and reign, you will display some of the characteristics that I have because you belong to the kingdom. And then not only does the kingdom citizen 
know how to handle those who offend him. The third and final one is the kingdom citizen is known for their love for both outsiders and offenders. The kingdom citizen is known for their love, I mean, you know, for their love for outsiders and offenders. Let's go back and understand the law in a moment, but let's read what it says. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Let's stop there for a second. Jesus was dealing with something false that had come about. You remember part of it, Leviticus 19, 18 says how we are to love our neighbor. And we get in Deuteronomy that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and our neighbor as ourself. Nowhere do you see mention and hate your enemy. But here's what had become understood. Because the Jewish people restricted who their neighbor was, those who looked like them and those who were just around them. Anyone else, they said, that you can hate. So you love the neighbor around you and hate others. And that's what had developed over time. That's what had come about over time, is that they were hating those that they chose to and were loving those that they chose to. Look at what happened as a result. Look at what happened. In Luke, remember when the person came up and Jesus said, what does the law say? And, and he said, to love your neighbor as yourself. And the, and the person trying to justify himself said, who is my neighbor? What did Jesus start a conversation on? What story did he tell? What story did he tell when the person asked, who is my neighbor? The Good Samaritan. What was the whole point of the story of the Good Samaritan where the person who was who would be culturally at odds with the one that he helped, helped them in the way that God approved. What was the point of the story of the Good Samaritan? Your neighbor is whomever you have the opportunity to assist. So it was anyone that you came into contact with, which is why Jesus shared that story. Think of what was happening here. What was happening here is that they were still in that restrictive mindset, and really all they were liking were people that were like them. A lot of us today, we love those who are like us and hate those who are not. We like those who think like us, and we throw away those who don't think like us. And boy, that cuts through every area of life. And believe me, it's not just unbelievers that struggle with that. And so he goes and he says, he gets in detail. He says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Hold on a second. Didn't he do that? Father, forgive them. That was a prayer. For they don't know what they're doing. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Let me stop there for a second. That doesn't make you a son. When he says make you, it is saying so that you would be seen as children of God. In other words, those who have the characteristics of the father will do this. They are like their father. Remember, in the previous one, we said being like your father, remember that, being like your father, the devil, was the one when you were telling lies and you were manipulating people. Well, now, he says, you will be like your father in heaven if you do what? If you are one that learns to pray for those who do you harm. Now he's given you a way to now deal with them internally. 
And so he says, you have heard it said, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father in heaven. Why? Because this is what your father does. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the, on the just and the unjust. Let's put that in today's terms. Not everyone whose grass got watered by the rain these, next, these last few days were followers of God. Not everyone who got up this morning and is experiencing his sun that is shining on them, that they can sit wherever they want to sit and enjoy the warmth, even think about God. We can go even there. Not everyone that has a good crop and a good season, not everyone that has a great job, not everyone that has good health, not everyone that has a great family is honoring God. God says, I make my son shine on the, I mean, and, and think about that. He makes it rise on evil and good. And rain, which rain in an agricultural society was critical. Because if they were farming and if they were growing things, you don't have rain for a while and all those crops die. And God says, I let it rain even for those that curse my name. He says, if I can do that, what do my children do? And so God is saying, I'm giving you an example. Yeah, I know he's not the best person to work with. Yeah, I know she's a handful. Yeah, I know they don't trust nor believe me. Yeah, I know they would rather cuss my name. But if I can deal with them, I have empowered you that you can deal with them. If I can allow myself to be offended, I can't imagine. I'm thinking, I can't imagine Jesus standing in front of those huge, big hypocrites, those Pharisees that were charging him wrongly and falsely with sin. I can't even imagine standing there as the one who created who I'm standing in front of and taking their foolishness from them. See, for me, I'd let that big hand come out with as much godly strength as it has, and it would knock you into eternity. (laughs) That's just me. I can't imagine the creator in flesh standing in front of these people that were mocking him prophesy, knocked him in the head. Who hit you? I would have been like, who threw you into hell? (laughs) See, I'm just like that, but I'm not God. But the deal was, if he who is perfection can take it, how about we who are not perfection? How do we deal with it? God is like, don't be so quick to retaliate your mind. Don't be so quick to be angry and to hate them because they're evil and because they oppose you. Jesus said, if they oppose me, they'll oppose you. Or if they hate you, he goes to reverse, understand they hated me first. He said, there's nothing that's happening to you that I've not already dealt with. And so he gives us a reason for how we display the life of Christ to a sinful and lost world. He tells us, you're mine. You're under my rule, and whatever I allow to happen to you, I allow to happen to you. But then he ends it, and he says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? In other words, he's saying you haven't distinguished yourself as godly if you do what other people do. He said the sinners love those who love them. 
Why? Because there is a benefit in it. And back in that society, it was high on networking. That was a high networking culture. You helped me, I helped you. You helped my business, I helped your business. And so we invited one another to our parties. We didn't let any outsiders in. We only invited those that can help us. And he says, you're not doing anything different than them. And they're sinful. But you call yourself children of the king. He said, what distinguishing mark is there? And the distinguishing mark, he says, is those who don't love me, I still love. Now, understand, love is not the warm fuzzies and the mushy feelings. No, remember, that love that he's talking about is you have this benevolent concern. You have this concern for the well-being of another. You know, I, I don't have to like what you do. I don't have to be your best buddy to respond in love. I don't have to. But he says to you, he says, what reward do they have? And then he goes to the most hated group in town. He says, even the tax collectors do that. You have to understand that phrase. This was the sellout group that was hated among all. You know what? A tax collector better not turn his back in a crowd of people. He might not make it out. And many of you know the story. The tax collector, because the Roman government wanted to collect taxes in the farming regions. And what they did is that they hired local of the same culture, Jewish culture people to collect the taxes from their own people. But they turned a blind eye as to how they did it. And so they, the Roman government wanted that much. So they wanted a hundred bucks. Let's just say they wanted a hundred bucks a month. And so that tax collector would hire others under him and under him, and they would spread themselves out to collect the money. And so they, the government wanted 100, but the government didn't care if you collected 300. And so you could make up any, and they did any amount they wanted. And it had to be collected because they came with the authority of the Roman government. And so the tax collector was hated because he was taxing unjustly, greedily. Bribes were given. He was taxing his own people. They were like, you sell out. They were extremely hated by their own people. And Jesus says, even the tax collectors do this. What he is saying is, if you don't do anything different than what everyone else do, you are like the most, you are like the group that you hate the most. You are no better off than a sellout. Jesus says, I call you to a higher standard. And at the end, he says, you must be perfect. Let's clarify that. What he is given is the standard. Why? The standard is perfection. So one day when you feel like you are just feeling yourself, I am rolling in this godly thing. I got it. I, I am not like him. I am not like Pastor Costin. Boy, that dude's a loser. He needs to get it together. I got it. God says, when you start comparing yourself to one another, he said, I get your attention off of your brother and I put your attention on me. He says, I'm the standard. So when you feel like you've reached the pinnacle, you've not even come close. And when God says, you ought to be perfect for I am perfect. He says, that's the standard. He understands we're not going to live in sinless perfection, but he understands that's the standard that we are always shooting for. And we can never make excuses otherwise. Well, God, I'm not like him. God says the problem is he's not the standard. I'm not like her, Lord. Hey, I'm much better than her. God says, great, but she's not the standard. God says, I am. And when I'm the standard for the rest of your life, you are always improving. You are always getting better. 
you are always drawing closer. There is always greater spiritual maturity to have. There is always more holiness to attain to. God says it's never quitting time. So kingdom citizens, their word must stand on its own merit. They know how to handle when they are people when they're offended. And they are known for love for outsiders and for offenders. But let's just say, and let's just be real. You hear this today, and I was like, who on earth can do that? Let me tell you something. It is an act not of the will. It is an act of the power of the Spirit of God as you allow him in your life. That's what it is. It's an act of the of, of, of God at work and you will, well, what do you mean when his word says this? And, and I know I don't feel like doing it. And I've said this before, Lord, I don't feel like doing this, but I know this is what you desire. So I'm going to move in that direction. And as I've moved in that direction many times, boy, I begin to sense and I begin to experience the, 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 the empowering strength and wisdom of the Lord and all of a sudden, I turn around and I've done something that I didn't realize I could actually do. I begin to realize that I can live in a way that I didn't actually, what, well, hold on a second. I don't have to hold that grudge. I was able to drop that grudge and I'm okay. Wow. I was able to take that, 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 that slam. I was to take that personal affront. Like he just really tried to chump me. He just really tried to punk me and I'm okay. Wow. I didn't lash out. I didn't plot how I was going to get you back. I wasn't cut off in traffic and then, uh uh-oh, and then I figured out how I'm going to get back and on a slide cut you off. I've done that before. And had to talk to the Lord going, I know that was wrong, Lord, my old evil heart. And had to confess before the Lord, like, that was wrong. No, I didn't cut him off in like some sort of rage. No, but in my heart, I knew exactly what I was doing. And here's the Lord is saying to us, he says, I've given you all you need to deal with that other part in you that doesn't want to live for me. And you will distinguish yourself as belonging to me when you allow me to empower you to live like I lived. And then people will wonder, well, what kind of person are you? It is the kind that our brothers and sisters over in Egypt and I still, I don't forget the story when they were being led by ISIS to their death. And they, listen to this one story, and, and they were on their knees and their heads were about to be cut off. And they said, Lord, it is an honor to die for you. What? Some of us would have been like, oh, no, boy, I, you can't help, Lord, no. He said, it is an honor to die for you, Lord. Lord, how do I get there one day at a time? Lord, how am I I like that young lady years ago in Columbine, years ago, when the dude was standing with the gun and said, will you recant, will you deny your faith? And she was at gunpoint. I remember I heard that story over and over, and we heard the story, and she said no, and he blew her head off. 
And I know her next moment was with the Lord. Here's my deal, that she was unafraid to stand up for her Lord. Now, to those that don't know Christ, they go, that's crazy. Y'all are nuts. But the scripture says, if you're his, one, you're the apple of his eye. Psalm says, precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. Why? Because they're ushered into his presence. Now, I'm not trying, I don't have no death wish. I'm not going to stand out on Georgetown in the middle when the light is green against me and be and, and like, Lord, I'm coming. No, I'm not. I've got issues. I need help. But the issue becomes as I'm living life, I'm not living as this bitter retaliatory person. I'm not living as this person who is always looking for how I get people back. And I'm looking for ways that I can love those who don't love God because that's what my daddy does. What are we going to do? How are we going to live? Are we going to show that we belong to God? Or are we really showing that we belong to another kingdom? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much.